half the reason I got into biophilic design, I'll be very honest, I took a boat ride from the Keys and I went up the Spanish River intercoastal and I got off the boat ride and I went, oh my God, 99% of every patio I saw from Key West to Delray had zero on their patios. And I'm like, there's an opportunity. On today's special Bonus Friday episode, we are coming at you live from the Dakota market. Have you hit a wall when it comes to growing your interior design business? Then welcome to Wingnut Social, the podcast specifically designed to accelerate your business through increased social media presence, impactful online content, and translating industry experience into physical success. This is your design business tightly fastened. Now welcome the hosts of Wingnut Social, Darla Powell and Natalie Graff. Hey there, and welcome to the bonus episode of the Wingnut Social Podcast. I'm your host, Darla Powell, and I'm joined by Natalie Ann Graff, the soulless ginger. Hello, hello. Natalie, it's December. What are you this month? I think I'm a turkey still. Can, the ginger elf? Is it December? It's Yeah, this is December Are now. you serious? It's Dece- already December. December 7th. Oh, Wow. Could I be an elf? I guess I could be an elf. The ginger. Well, let's think. Let's give that some thought. Yeah, let's 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 go back to that one. I'm not 100% sure how I feel about being an elf. So, Natalie, this was a great experience. This was our really our first live recorded podcast on a panel we did at Dakota, which is the Design Center of the Americas Fall Market. That we did this panel on November 7th with Michelle Castagna and Jeffrey Alice, Michelle Castagna of Muse Design Studio and Jeffrey Alice of True Vine Design. We talked about biophilic design and what it means for you guys as interior designers and architects and how we can use it practically in residential spaces, commercial spaces. And I really, really, really wanted to dive in and say, where the hell can we get certified for this? I kept digging, digging, digging. And at the end there, the question and answers, Mike Peterson lovingly gave us some information. Information. So you guys stay tuned for that so you can see how you can present this expertise to your clients, get certified in a way, and how you can really niche your business as an interior designer to get those higher end clients, those clients who have, who are really invested in their beliefs and want to pay someone a little bit extra just to live their best life according to their values. And it's not as hard as you think. Just listen. Yeah, it's it's simpler. We we tend to try to make things a little harder than they need to be. You overthink it. <laughs> Sometimes. Most interior designers, you guys just overthink stuff. Just keep it simple, stupid. How dare you? Have you ever heard that acronym? How dare keep you? Keep it simple, stupid. How dare you? <laughs> Lot to God, <laughs> Anyway, guys, I hope you enjoy this panel live from the Dakota Fall Market that we did on November 7th. Enjoy. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, I'm Taylor Sinelli. I'm the Vice President of Marketing for Dakota. I would like to introduce uh, the panel moderators and hosts of the Wingnut Social Podcast, Darla Powell and Natalie Graff. They're going to be joined today by Michelle Castagna, who's a magnificent designer who is always in this building, and we appreciate her support so much. Thank you, Michelle. And Jeffrey Alice, who is a new friend of mine, but um, has been a joy to work with thus far. And he is a horticultural consultant and a biophilic designer, which I think is such a cool and unique perspective to bring to this conversation on well-being. So without further delay, I would love to turn it over to them. Thank you for being here. (laughs) Thank you, Taylor. Thank you so much for that, Taylor. I don't know if you if you guys listen to the Wingnut Social Podcast. I am the host of the Wingnut Social Podcast, Darla Jethro Powell. And this is my co-host, the Soulless Ginger, Natalie Ann Graff, also known as the Nag. 
Giraffe. We, do, we do have a bi-weekly podcast that talks on the interior design industry and interior design tips and marketing for you guys. But I digress. Let's introduce our panelists today. Well, Natalie. I'd like to say this is a lot different because usually I'm in shorts and a t-shirt and flip-flops and now I'm like all dressed and it's hot up here. But you know. <laughs> so we were introduced to these lovely people here that I have. And so my job, because I have a job, Taylor gave me a job, but where's your portable fan, Taylor, with the solar? I mean, come <laughs> on, Taylor. <sighs> so anyways, my job is to introduce Michelle Castagna. She's been in business for 20 years in the industry. She's focused her innovative thinking and strives to create interiors that tell a unique story about her clients and who they are, who they want to be, she kills it. She kills it here. She feels that the room is designed well. One can experience life in a more positive and balanced way. She not only creates her aesthetic beauty, but also a series of emotional experiences for the end user that leaves them to feel a true sense of home. Very good. Very not well too done, shabby, huh? I'm very proud of you. And this, this handsome young man here is Jeffrey Alice. Jeffrey Alice's love of plants and gardens began in the large country vegetable garden he created when he was 13. His family owned one of the premier tropical greenhouses that specialized in interior tropical landscaping. Jeffrey's biophilic design and horticulture degree, coupled with his years of hands-on growing and buying experience, has been invaluable. Prior to this, Jeffrey spent 20 years in the financial business as a member of the Chicago Board of Trade, as a U.S. government bond options trader, and as an associate director at the Bear Stearns Company. How did that happen? <laughs> His philanthropic endeavors led him to chair a fine arts museum and decorative arts and garden museum. Welcome. Thank you guys for joining us so much today. Thank you. Okay, so right out of the box, we're talking about biophilic design, and that, that word has a lot of syllables in it, and it can be a little bit scary for us, and we want to know, what the hell is biophilic design, right? What's the difference between that and sustainable design or wellness that you hear bandied about that seems to be very trendy? Because, Michelle, we'll have you start with it. This is a very focused category that's not, just doesn't fit into that all-encompassing genre, right? So just in a nitty-gritty, just so we can understand here. What the heck is biophilic design? So, well, he should define that just okay, because well, he's the expert at it. But biophilic, okay. by definition, is the love of living things. So that's pretty simple. It's about bringing natural elements into our interiors. And sustainability, which is a whole different thing that I'm not fully versed on, but sustainability is about using natural and renewable resources in a manner and a rate that is not faster than we can replace them. And it goes into much more about, you know, off-gassing and things that are toxic in our environments, but just as a definition. And wellness and well-being are, one is more about our physical health and one is more about our emotional state. So I don't know if you want to add to that, but. I will add to that. I try to dumb everything down. Biophilic design. Bio, Latin is about life, things that are living. Philic, like this town of Philadelphia, love. So biophilic is we bio-living, philic, we love. You all, I do, we all innately, subconsciously are in love with a rose, a fern a puppy dog, 
whatever. We relate to that. And we have been getting away from the design world. The design world is about marble and stone and cement and glass and it's all wonderful. But we're over the past many years, we've gotten away from nature. And I don't know about you, but if we're in a log cabin with a fire and it's snowing outside, it's a pretty beautiful night. Or if we're in a tropical rainforest or something like that. So biophilic design is the concept of trying to bring those elements and those feelings back into the built environment, which we have totally lost, especially here in Southern Florida. Love Southern Florida. However, it's all man-made. And so biophilic design is trying to bring that back into our individual spaces or our commercial spaces and things like that. And in the Far East, it's prolific and doing amazing. And America is just starting to embrace this, uh, this type of design. Okay, besides from just an aesthetic point of the design, if we go into a room and it's biophilic, I think innately we can look at it and say, this is stunning, I enjoy it, I feel better in there. So we, we can see that there's an aesthetic purpose behind it, but how has the movement risen, the popularity of biophilic design? What's the purpose behind it besides just this room is pretty? Let's just dig a little bit deeper. So... Biophilic design is one element that we've been studying in the wellness factor of how we feel in a space. I think that recently we've touched on a term that is neuroaesthetics, and it is the study of the brain and beauty. So if we all think about, well, back to that too, our DNA is 98% that of a chimpanzee. So it's no shock that we resonate with things in nature. To go past that, the neuro part, the way our brains function in beautiful spaces has an overall impact on our health and wellness. So if we can create spaces that are less stressful to whatever the end user requires, then that immediately helps with our overall health and well-being. There are many tiers to this, but I think we need to pay attention to how the clients want to feel in a space instead of just designing solely on the purpose of aesthetics. And that's what this is about. It's about bringing in natural elements. It's about bringing in a way to make the clients feel the way that they want, which is unique to each end user. And you want to develop on that a little more? Yeah, I, it, for me, it's really, once again, try to dumb this down or make it simple. If I meet a woman, I'm not going to take her to McDonald's for dinner. Not a really good environment. Not going to take her to the hospital operating room. Those are what are called necrophilic. There's nothing living in them. I'm not getting a good feeling from that. If I go to, since you're all from Southern Florida, if you go to Sugar, if you go to Swan, if you go to Murakami, you go to all these places, it's like, Oh my God, you're just feeling a certain way. And for me, I, once again, I try to keep this in the design world. You're all what I call have pattern recognition intelligence, or you wouldn't be here. You're in the design world. So if you look at certain things, like if you ask like a simple question of people, oh, do you love the beach? Oh, I love the beach. 
Why do you like the beach? Well, that's a stumper. They have no idea why they like it. And what I think, since you're all designers, it's not so much that our eyes are looking out at that up there or that there. It's what those are doing here to me and making me feel. So that's the switch, in my opinion, of biophilic design. Not looking at this neat thing and going, oh, wow, that's cool. Okay, so let's get into the science. Of, let's get into the science of that a little bit because, again, because like what I said before is that it's more than just th thinking things are pretty, right? It is a, a feeling about that, but without being anecdotal, there's some scientific research to back up that it's better, like from a mental perspective, from a physical perspective for your health and wellness. So in residential, and I don't know how many people in the audience are more residentially based versus commercial possibly, but in the residential sector, it's much harder to study the end user. So what we look to to get these answers of the more scientific research behind all this is in the commercial and healthcare industries because it's much easier to study those end users. And once we look to those studies, you clearly see that people's overall wellness improve in environments that have biophilic elements. There's the well-built standard, and I don't know if anybody's familiar with that, that they use in commercial that talks about testing standards for water, air quality, nourishment, health, overall like food nourishment, light, circadian rhythm lighting, and all these, there, I think there's seven um, elements that they test on. And when they implement all those items and test the end users, their overall sense of well-being is better. They are more productive, which equals more money in the end of the day for each employer that has that. And in healthcare sectors, there are studies where they literally take the patients with equal ailments and they'll put one into a room facing a brick wall and one into a room facing greenery or natural elements. And the person with the green room heals and gets out of the hospital much faster. Right. So that's the payoff I was looking for yep. there. Right. So there's, there's the beauty and then there's the end result is that better, a better humanity, a more, a healthier humanity. Yes, Natalie. I have a lot of questions, but I'm going to try to keep it simple because sometimes like I get the cart ahead of the horse here. So how do we, as designers, how do we go ahead and incorporate that into our design? I mean, especially how, the residential. Yeah, yeah. The residential. I mean, I understand the whole healthcare and the, th you know, all of that. I get that. But as a designer, hey, you, I want this. How do I do that? I think it goes back to what does the client want to feel? Once you know how somebody wants to feel, somebody, if you ask a bachelor what they want their space to feel like versus a family of five, the answer is going to be completely different. So this is not like a cookie cutter answer. However, there are some elements that would be implemented no matter what. But ultimately, we need to seek what the client wants to make their home feel like a retreat, a sense of calm? Do they want it to feel like a party house? Like those answers will help dictate, but there are some basic elements like plants. That's what and I was just going to say. Can you elaborate maybe on some of those elements that we would bring into the home to make it feel yeah, what I they're mean, striving for? Yeah. That's sort of simple, but I just want to just follow up on the, the, this conversation we had just a second ago, just to give you a small example. In Singapore, the most popular tourist attraction is the hospital. People will take their date. They'll take wedding pictures there. 
I've seen the it's video. It's unbelievable. I saw the video. Just because it's beautiful and it's biophilically designed. Okay, after you go to the hospital, where are we going now? Let's go to the airport. And this is where people are. And this is how design is being transformed by this design. Just like the Miami Design District, Craig Robbins has turned that into this biophilic. Plants are above you. Pottery and plant. So his business or, or, or people coming there is increased amazingly. I just had to throw that out to kind of this proof of this. And you make a great comment that, you know, residential, there isn't a lot of study. But it's as simple as, once again, I try to dumb this really down. A plant. It's not a Democrat. It's not a Republican. It's not white. It's not black. It's not rich. It's not poor. The common denominator of nature is so authentic. It's so real. It's so true. We're lacking that. And the good designers are bringing that back in. And so that's my opinion. And how many, how many people will pay more money for a hotel room because it has a, a view? Most people. You don't even realize you're doing it. We are drawn to these things. If you know, we all want that beautiful view or impact. We just don't always realize that we're seeking it. That's a good point, Michelle. There, because uh, we just recently had on the podcast Julia Malloy. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Julia of the Bold Summit, and we were talking about the middle tier interior design industry and how it's struggling. You know, there's some benefit to the lower end and and providing a, a lot of value. There's a lot of benefits being at the higher end and really diving in and defining what makes you different. And this biophilic design, I want to call it a trend, but it's not because it's been around for a while. But on the residential side, it's mushrooming, is a way to differentiate yourself to appeal to those higher end clients who are looking to invest in things that they, that resonate with them, that they actually believe in. So, which is leading me into my next question. If someone wanted to, as an interior designer or as an architect or whatever, offer this is a specialty to their clients. What direction, what steps would they have to take to become so well-versed in it, to educate their clients and offer the service? Is, is it complicated or is there something as easy as going in there and saying, skylight, fiddly thing? Okay. <laughs> I'll answer. You can answer. This is why it, it, I have to admit it's fun for me. Okay. People are so detached now from nature. People don't even know about putting a plant in their house. I mean, it's like, oh, wow. You know, but are you kidding Can me? we pause? Because I bet there's a lot of people that will kill any plant like me. Okay. That, so let's talk about... Wait, wait a minute. Okay. <laughs> I knew that would come up. I get that all the time. Okay. Let me yes. ask you a quick question. Yes. Do you have any animals? A hedgehog. A hedgehog. Do you? Okay. you have a hedgehog. Yes. Okay. My daughter has I, a I didn't see that coming. Okay, let me ask you. So, <laughs> yeah, all right, you do. Yes. And you, you raise your hand, you kill plants. You said, right, okay. Is the hedgehog alive? Yes, I didn't kill the hedgehog. Are you feeding it? My daughter does. Okay. And you're watering it. Probably you're giving yes. it water. Ta-da. But I water the plants and they still <laughs> die. Nice. So. Okay, I would like to say I watered and fed my fiddly figs and they still died. But I took them outside <laughs> and rescued them what? in the shade I've where they belong. I've already prepared for that <laughs> question because a fiddly fig is 
what it is is understanding biology or plants, and that, that's why I travel all around the world in Latin America, South America, all over. It's as simple as if you go to the beach and you sit in the sun for a week and have no water, probably going to have a little issue. Same thing with a plant. You have to know the right plant at the right place, and bingo, but it's But if we're not versed in that, I just want you to remind them that they can do biophilic through other avenues and not just live plants. You know what? Now we're transit. <laughs> what right. a wonderful so, transition into right. indirect so biophilic question, design. Yeah, so how, how would we as designers say, okay, Mr. Client, or Mrs. Client, I am certified in biophilic design and this is what I can offer you. This is the benefit you'll get. And this is why I'm charging you up the wazoo and it's really worth it. How, where do we start? Where do we get, <laughs> right? Seriously, at the end of the day, this is a business, right? We all want to offer great service and make money. Where do we get educated on that? So to me, it's, it's much more about an overall being, as designers, being able to sell the fact that we are wellness providers at the end of the day because we have the ability to impact the space in that way that impacts overall wellness. It is not, he is a specialist in biophilic. It is, biophilia is part of this wellness movement that we all need to pay attention to as designers. And I think we are all combating that retail invasion. And I hear designers talking about that all the time. Like, how can I separate myself? How can I make myself more unique? And it's the, the designers that can lose their egos because we are a very egocentric driven profession. And if you can let go of that and truly ask your clients what they want, it will lead you to being able to sell yourself as someone who's providing wellness. And it's uh, there's so much more to this, and biophilia is absolutely part of that. I personally wouldn't label myself as a biophilic designer. Does that exist? Yeah. Okay. What's that? The, is there like designers. a certification of some sort? That you there's oh, not a certification, no. but okay. yes, I think there are like maybe five or six or seven of us in the world. Oh, wow. Yeah. You could charge a whole <laughs> There's of one guy in London. There are a handful <laughs> in Miami, you know, maybe three or four down there. But it's such a new field. That's why for you to offer that for your clients is really an amazing thing. And you transition into biophilic design. And one thing that's really neat is, so biophilic design is something that's living, a real plant. Indirect or faux or fake are the same thing. This is indirect biophilic. You in the back row can't see it, but this is a petroleum product. It's fake. That's a very good one. Don't break it. I thought it it was real. (laughs) But but it's still, we look at it and it still makes us feel good. So we have wood here. We have wood there. So it's elements that were once living and things of that sort. So there's a thing called indirect biophilic. I mean, I was just walking down the street two nights ago in Delray, and I'm walking by, and it's cement, and it's this and that, and boom, I look at the storefront, and all it had was a bunch of pieces of wood with sea stone on it and a plant. It's as simple as that. If you're in here, they have stumps. So it's not necessarily a plant and that you're going to kill a plant. You can bring in wood. You can bring in seashells. Natural elements. 
You can bring in natural elements. There was a woman I just saw a little while ago, and she had the most beautiful shirt on, and it was all philodendrons, and it was made out of silk. And I looked at it, and I went, wow, that was really very pretty. So whether it be curtains. My earrings. Your ear, I, your <laughs> earrings, right. It's, so I'll look at that or patterns and things like that. So it's not necessarily always living. It's indirect what I call biofilm. So I like that you like to dumb things down because I really like to dumb things down to where I get them and I can grasp them. So basically biophilic design is also bringing the outside in. We want to bring the outside into us to where we could almost feel we are with the outside. So my home example, I, I'm going to ask you, is it biophilic? I have an atrium in the middle with all three sides of French doors. Every room in the house has French doors and I have skylights. So when my curtains are open, I see a koi pond or I see butterflies or I see palm trees. Is that considered some type of biophilic design because you can still see all of the outside, but you're still standing in your home? So you're, I just need, I just either. I would say absolutely. I'll concur. Yes. You don't need a jungle. This is, this is it. I mean, if I wander around here, I'll just see lemons in a wooden bowl. Done. Right? You look at it, like, oh, wow, I, I feel okay. So we don't have to overcomplicate it. That's you what don't you're saying. need to overcomplicate it. it. It's as simple as me. You might have this glorious uh, apartment and just have one plant on the inside of a window in a beautiful pot, one plant on the outside on a pot, which is called continuum theory, and that window, which is normally like this, is now transcending what's called continuum theory, which Frank Lloyd Wright did really well. He would take all of this stone that would be inside, and it would be the same stone that would be on the patio or the wall. So it's just bringing it together, you know? I mean, it's just authentic. It doesn't take a rocket scientist. It's what makes you feel well in an atrium, like you're saying, is a, you know, ball out of the park, exactly biophilic design. Why do you think it's taken the residential side so long to start catching on to this biophilic design versus commercial and hospitality or, or even, you know, hospitals? And I, we were talking to Mike Peterson earlier, and he was saying, and uh, forgive me, was it Singapore? Was it Japan? Singapore? Singapore. Okay. Where they actually are getting to the point now to where instead of giving patients bottles of pills, they're prescribing them, hey, why don't oh, you go spend an hour in the That's in the UK and okay. Canada. So the, in the UK, they call it social prescribing. And doctors, in lieu of giving bottles of prescription pills, are actually prescribing things of the arts, walks in nature, yoga classes. There's studies of people with chronic conditions that are given this path to healing, that they're showing signs of improvement in their social interactions, they're eating healthier, they're losing weight, and their mental kind of anguish, we'll call it, is diminishing just from these doctors prescribing that. So this is a, nature is valid. So if, we're, if I was going to go to a residential client, yeah. and I was going to say, Mr. and Mrs. Client, I foresee this in your space. Let's bring in some organic elements, some greenery. You're going to take care of it, so I'm not going to kill it. And this is, this is what's proven are the benefits of it. That would be the direction to take that, because I'm trying to figure out how, how do we get the residential design side so to I catch on. So I think many residential designers are already implementing some of these things. They don't 
they're just not just don't verbalizing okay. it. Because I haven't ever done a house that there's no plants yeah. in it of some sort. Yeah. Okay, so if that just defines biophilic, we all have those added elements typically. But that's why for me, it goes much deeper to really understanding what the client wants the, as the end user, what they want the space to make them feel like because we all have reactions to things of different elements of beauty and what each of those elements are for all of us is different. So if you go into a museum and you stare at a piece of art, your reaction to that art might give you goosebumps and the other person hates it. So there is no blanketed answer for this biophilic, again, for me, is one aspect of bringing this kind of health factor into the home. I think you make a really good point in regards to your example of art. Someone will look at a piece of art and go, oh, love it, love it, love it. Another person will go, are you crazy? I'm out of here, right? But a plant, generally, everybody is like, like. I like that rose. So there's I some like clients that. that hate plants. What's like, that? Some clients hate plants. I, they're like, I don't want any plants in my house. I don't want bugs. It, it, I don't once want again, dirt. It's, it's not, true. I'm not going to disagree with you. Yeah. It's not about plants. It's you're saying you have to analyze. If I'm going to go see some 32-year-old gentleman who like, oh, I want my place like that. Okay, I'm not your guy. You have to analyze. You have to I get. mean, design is all about knowing. You made a great comment. It's not designers I work with or who I am. I'm like, well, where are you from? What do you think? How do you this and that? And so once you absorb that, Ask then the you question. can give that. And quite honestly, sometimes like I just did a place and it was orange and it was pink and it was this. And I just said, I don't think I'm your fit. Right. You know, this isn't you all have to analyze it. But I will throw this out for you all since you're interior or not into uh, residential designers or commercial. If generally in South Florida, you know, 60% of your is interior, and then they've got a patio, or they have a deck, or they have a pool. That's just screaming for opportunity. And for you to go, oh, wow, I know we can do this and that. It's an amazing opportunity. And half the reason I got into biophilic design, I'll be very honest, I took a boat ride from the Keys, and I went up the Spanish River intercoastal, and I got off the boat ride and it went, Oh my God, 99% of every patio I saw from Key West to Del Rey had zero on their patios. And I'm like, there's an opportunity. Now, you bring up a good point, Jeffrey, because oh. Natalie and I just did a consultation and the client had gray and beige all throughout the house. But yet her patio had beautiful cobalt tiles in the pool. She had gorgeous greenery. She had walls of moss and it was and there was nothing reflecting that on the inside and when I approached her and said look at this gorgeous view you have out there let's bring some of that in let's tie that through a little light bulb went off in her head and she hadn't even considered it even though she put so much time and care into the patio and also that that leads me to ask you too Jeffrey because Natalie and I live towards the Keys and we we drive our boat we see that same thing as I want to talk to you about maintenance and upkeep <laughs> about having, you know, how time... I wanted to throw a hard did, question. You want, oh, do I a hard question. I wanted a hard question. Okay. Because obviously we are here in sunny South Florida. It's very sunny. Yes, it is very sunny. Now, some of these designers here, they have projects that aren't in South Florida. They could be in New York in the dead of winter and, and all of those cold, cold areas that we know nothing about down here. How do you recommend that they 
you know, dive in and say, you know what, let me bring the outside in, but let's not bring snow. That's a good I question. Mean, how, how do you in- incorporate all of that for cold weather design? For those that live in a, a, in cooler, Tahoe, cl- yeah, or, a yeah. cooler climate oh, than we do. That's a wonderful question. It's not that difficult. Okay. You, we have to be environmentally aware of where we are. I do, one of my best clients is in Toronto. That's cold. Okay. And so, okay, I do all tropicals and do amazing stuff during their spring, and it's great. Okay, they're not going to live. Red twig dogwood, evergreen, lights. Oh, why don't we put a fire pit in the middle of your patio and at your restaurant? Oh, my God, people were there. I just extended my business for an extra two months just because I put... A couple hundred dollars worth of pine trees or this and that. So you just have to be intelligently aware of what's going on. Just to take one step back. So you've seen that, that people don't have things in their patio. If you go to Colombia, if you go to Panama, if you go to Nicaragua, anywhere, everybody's got plants and something on their balcony. In America, they don't have anything besides a rusted grill and bad <laughs> furniture i'm like what is the de- what is the deal here why do we not get it you know you've got a million dollar condo and it looks like zeroesville on the patio that's why this opportunity for you all is phenomenal it's just wide open So, you spent all that money on your shiny new website, but how do you know it's getting the job done and attracting real-life clients? Are your photos optimized? Are your backlinks bending over backward to work for you? Have you lost the keys to your keywords? If all of this is making your head spin, don't worry. Wingnut Social's SEO website audit will answer all these questions and more. In fact, here is what you get when you purchase. Two hours of consulting with an expert. A crawlability check for broken links. Site performance. Metadata checks. Metadata is what helps Google know where to rank your page. On-page SEO. Length, messaging, duplicate content, mobile audit headers. There's just so much to learn. Yeah, keywords and content suggestions. You'll get a list of keywords for you to target and content suggestions for targeting them. And of course, those backlink audits to make sure they're going to help you or hurt you. Are they helping or hurting you? You'll find out by going to wingnutsocial.com slash services and just check out the SEO website audit. It is a one-time fee and it's a tremendous value. Now back to the show. Let's talk about a little bit about the maintenance and the upkeep because we have clients and the biggest barrier to entry or resistance we get when we approach our interior design clients, because we have a design firm also, by the way, if you guys didn't know that, Darla Palantir's, shameless plug, thanks, it's okay, <laughs> is that they, they're going to kill the plants, the plants are going to die, I don't want to take time, I don't want to care about it. So how do you, how, when you talk to clients that you want to design that way for, you want to have that beautiful photo shoot, or you want to have that signature organic biophilic design how do you how do you get them something that doesn't take a lot of upkeep and maintenance do you, know, you know what i mean very so they good don't, very yeah, good they don't question. want to kill the hedgehog very good question i just finished a hotel in miami it had 85 pieces of large pottery inside and outside on the pool deck it's two hotels two restaurants All it was was 75 pieces of pottery. I did that in June. I've lost one plant. 
Reason being, and I'm not saying this in a braggadocious way, it's just common sense. Okay, full sun, it's not going to be, it's going to be abused. So I have to use this kind of plant. If it's inside and it's dark and this and that, boom, I yeah, use so that no, plant. Yeah. I put, you know, like everyone's scared of plants. I have plants that I will put in a corner. I'll water it once a month. That's the idea. Yeah. We all want the live plant. And right. But not everybody quality. knows. I mean, seriously, I have half a brain, and I really seriously killed my fiddle leaf figs after. <laughs> she almost They're almost dead. Shape. After looking to see what kind of light, how often should I water them and stuff. So for you, it's common sense for sure, because no, you're no, I'm gonna, the guy. No, no, so no, no, how no, 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 no. I'm going right, to make this really simple. Dumb it down. You put the wrong plant in the wrong place. <laughs> yeah. I you did. have to okay. get it's somebody a, that if, is if, educated in You in need that. someone who will go. If you don't know it. And here's a real live example. Okay. I went to a hotel in Miami that I saw in Miami Design District. I was so impressed. I loved it. It was Gloria Stefan's restaurant. I went there. And I looked at it, and I'm like, wow, this is beautiful. It's very nice, this and that. And the, and the GM comes up to me and goes, what are you looking at? I said, oh, I'm a designer. I like what you're doing. It's really beautiful. I love the pottery. I love this. I love the whole thing. And he said, you like it? And I said, yeah. And I gave him my card. I said, well, give me a call in three months when everything dies, and I'll put in the right plants for you. Four months later, he called me up. Hi. Everything is dead. Can you come in and put the right things in? All I did was know what will live in that environment. And where do we find that out besides hire? Or are you saying we hire you? You have to hire it's somebody who's educated. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. If your sink or, or your toilet or electricity or your eight, your, You're calling your, in other your air conditioner goes down, what do you I do? I call you, in the soulless ginger. You call in <laughs> someone who knows it. Why are they hiring all you? You're yeah, designers. True. So most designers don't know about, and as I say, it's not just plants. It's just, right. look at how beautiful that is. Look, look at how amazing that wood is up there. And look at the texture up there, which is organic and things of that sort. So it's just being in the know and doing the, you know, sort of. Michelle, as a designer here, do you... It, in this area, in South Florida, do you have anything to add to that? Like how, when you want to do that, and maybe it's something that you're not 100% sure on a plant besides calling Jeff, what I just called him <laughs> you just to called one Jeff. of my clients. Okay. okay. Uh, we haven't worked together yet. I just had him out on a job a couple weeks ago because I don't know some okay. of that. And so I'm not going to make myself an expert at something that I'm not an expert at. I know my limitations and I want my client to have the best end result. So if that means bringing somebody else in. In this sector, I would. You know, there's some things that I wouldn't need to call somebody for, but I am horrible. So that's with a good plans. point. So, what are we looking for in a professional? What would the title? Because you're not going to go. There's a lot of designers. I don't know if you have that time. Like, what would what would we look for for a subcontractor? For you that? know, it, you know, it, you bring up a great question, and, and it is difficult because I hate to say this, and this is why earlier you said, "Oh, well, why aren't we doing this?" It's a lost art. I mean, just. Someone who knows about plants? Oh, low light, high light, little water, a lot of water. <laughs> and guess what? They don't teach that anymore. So it's hard. You have to either intuitively know or read it, or I'll be very, very honest with you. 
half the reason I consider myself very good at what I do, because I've killed more plants than anybody ever, okay? And I know what doesn't work. Okay. I'm the biggest plant killer there is out there. <laughs> okay. So when someone says, I want to plant there, I go, no, I, I've killed one there. That won't work. You got to put that there. You know, so it's just common sense. Just like I would never do my own taxes. Are you kidding me? Hello, <laughs> help me. So if we have someone like Jeff in our back pocket that's willing to come out to consultations, would you actually offer it as a service on your website? As biophilic design, if you knew that you had someone that met all those qualifications, I, would you consider yourself as offering that? A, yeah, I as a service. I consider that I would offer it anyway through the overall wellness factor that's important to me to sell to the clients. It would be encompassed under that umbrella. I don't know that I'd specifically list biophilic, but I would always know I had somebody like him in my back pocket. But for me, again, it's so much bigger picture than this one element, but it would definitely fall under an umbrella. Can, can I say, once again, you bring up a really, really, really good point. It's not just about live plants. Mm -hmm. There's so many other things. And if I could just take two seconds here, sure. I can't even remember this. Once again, as I was saying, direct, which is light, air, water, plants, animals, and weather, indirect. blah, blah, fire, things like that. The indirect so you don't need some horticulturist. It's images of nature will still give you that nice effect. That natural materials, natural colors, naturalistic shapes such as ovals and eggs, things that are invoking nature, things that are patinaed, natural geometrics and things of that sort. You don't necessarily need to be plant oriented just to give you one right. small so that's getting back to the neuroaesthetics that we were speaking of also i'll give you one small example i was in medellin colombia my favorite coffee shop it's five feet deep by 20 feet long i mean you walk in and it's like you're on the wall how as designers what are you going to do here the gentleman all he did was take plexiglass with a beautiful jungle image and lit it up from behind. So you walk in and you're like, oh my God, I'm in the middle of the jungle in a five foot wide coffee shop. It's the coolest that, thing. That's a great example. But before we open up for questions here, I think we have a couple more minutes. I just wanna close by asking you both because Jeffrey, you said that it's a dying art. But I think I see a resurgence back to that, right? Back to more people learning about it, some, you know, botanical studies and the biophilia. If you look up TED Talks on biophilia for architecture and stuff, there's, there's a lot, there's quite a few of them. So I do see a little bit of resurgence of that. So really quickly, where do you see this going in the next five, 10 years? I just think in general, like every single person in the audience can relate to the fact that we all feel like way overstimulated and exhausted and running ourselves ragged. So there's this really big need for all of us to feel grounded in, in our spaces. We're, we're spending 90% of our time in our built environments and everybody just wants to feel calm. So whether that be at work or at home, I think that's where the resurgence is coming from because even though it existed, we're now saying like, how do we really fix this? 
how do we get ourselves back to basics? Well, back to basics goes back to way back to what are the basics? What do we resonate with? What are the things that make us tick as humans? I mean, we have facial recognition pattern ability from the time we're babies. You can see if a face scares you or not. Like these things exist in us from birth. And so we need to tap back into that and, and bring the awareness to everybody else so that we can now re-engage these kind of services and bring these kind of elements into our interiors. Your question was spot on. And I think your answer was amazing. If I just add to it in what it is, is this, is this resurgent? If you look, and a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of people are doing it because it's making money and keeps their employers there and things like that. If you look at the corporate headquarters of the biggest company on the earth, Amazon, have you all heard of the Spheres yes. in Seattle? Yeah, I've seen them, yeah. Unbelievable. Apple, Google, YouTube. I mean, I was in San Francisco doing things, and they're like, oh, well, we want plants. We want biophilic design. You know, so, so the big boys are going, okay, they want this. It is good, and things of that sort. And you make a perfect thing. I mean, we wake up in the morning in our square house. We go in our square car to our square office, and we're stressed on everything. You know, so we want to go to something that is you know, sort of calm, right? you know, and where people can, uh, sorry, I'm going to throw this out. I'll have a space in Miami and people come up to me and they go, wow, do you know I pray here? Do you know I feel calm here? And I'm like, whoa, no, I didn't know that, you know, so the I don't even think of trying to reject that, but I have clients that do that to me. You know, like I'll be on a big project and I'll have some guys who are like 300 pounds, the biggest man you've ever seen, and I'll walk in with my plants to do my thing. And then they're like, wow, this is really calming and cool, just like you're saying. So we do see a little bit of a growing trend for that too. And I will it's say in closing here, because we do, do want to op- call it a trend, but, but you um, know what I mean, yeah, like yeah, yeah. a resurgence, right? Yeah. So I, I will say in closing, before we open up to questions from the audience, that in my personal life, I've seen just in general, the whole, you've seen the paleo diet, the intermittent fasting and uh, us as society, as human beings, just kind of getting back into that ancient, what are, you know, joie de vivre, you know, whatever it is with getting back to nature. I think it's tied into that too. I so, think I agree, I agree because I actually, uh, I think it was yesterday morning before we were supposed to get started, we had a couple calls and I look out the kitchen window and here she is sitting by the koi pond, taking a moment just to try to meditate before the start of the day and trying to feel what yeah. Jeff had said that so we're calm, definitely getting back to that. that that trying to bring it in and how it just relaxes I'm for me it's on the water anytime on the water I'm calm I'm relaxed whatever you want y'all can have it I don't care because right. I'm on the water so to bring that into our home is it's, and I simply say like to people we all say that we are what we eat so we are what we put in our bodies but we're also what we put Debbie our bodies cake. in I'm a little Debbie cake okay so Taylor <laughs> do we have any questions Isabel Isabel It seems to me that one thing that addresses both the needs for real and artificial plants and sometimes in a small space are the vertical plant walls that are very popular in Europe. They can be self-watering 
and you have a variety of plants and it sits on a wall. It can be on a patio, it can be inside, it can be artificial, it can be real. And uh, nobody can kill them if they're artificial and they almost can't kill them if they are real because there is a built-in watering system. That's a good, I have seen those and I actually forgot about those in the talk. Hotel that, One. Living Hotel walls. One has Right. And they're very popular in Europe, but I'm sure they've come out to many more places because I see them on house and, and I've been trying to talk my clients into it for quite some time and I haven't managed. Right. But yeah. I mean, there are entire building fronts like that in Paris and Madrid. And then you go into office buildings and they have like waves of different colored gray succulent looking plants and then greener and then some that have a bit of flowers and it's really remarkable and it does give you that wow this you is see so that here cool. too some in miami if you've guys if you guys have ever been to hotel one on south beach have you been have you yes. been it's it's stunning and it has a lot of those elements of the wood the organic the plants and the it and we go we love it and we live in Miami when we would spend to stay the night there. It's just to speak to the neuroesthetic part of it. It's, it's a home run. The one hotel is a biophilic design building, period. They've got green walls on the outside. They've got green walls on the inside and uh, the materials and things like that. Paloma does a very nice job there. Green walls are amazing. I do green walls. I have one of the largest ones in Miami. It's 80 feet by 50 feet long in the design district. And it was noted by a blog as the most photographed place alley in Miami. So they get free advertising by people walking down and going, oh my God, taking pictures. So green walls are amazing. Green walls are very expensive. But the artificial ones are really not, and they have some companies coming out. Uh, I mean, there are many like Lux Art Silks and all sorts of companies now that have them, and you can join them together. What kind of price range are we talking? I'll tell you exactly. Green walls, I'll be very honest, is my specialty. Every green wall manufacturer in the United States, I know, I have relationships with them, I do things with them, and correct, there are faux or indirect green walls. They're really not that nice. Sorry. I've done them at shopping malls just because you put them there and they've got some in Brickle. And they're nice. They're right for the right client. There is one company out of London that does a faux wall that is amazing. But once again, they're expensive. I mean, green walls are, sorry to be a buzzkill, are, you know, they're 150 to $200 a square foot. Nope. You can find them from really good companies, like for about three feet by five feet, they can be $210 or something, but it takes a very good company that sources very good faux silks, but, but then you buy it once. Okay. I would like to speak to you afterwards and you tell <laughs> me you who will do a three by five for $200 because I'd like to know who they were yesterday. Oh, okay. okay, we're gonna we're gonna make She's that happen, friend. Isabel. She's my friend. I'll make sure my you, you get a meter. Darla, you mentioned earlier um, uh, where do we? You asked the question, where do we start? Yes, and, and I'm, uh, I'm glad you're into this. I yeah, I, I, I didn't want to say, but go. Am I? May I? Yes, yeah, I, okay, I. I didn't want to be. 
Anyway, I just wanted to let you and everyone know that the International Furnishings and Design Association has implemented a certification program that will be launched in the first half of next year, and it is for residential designers. Perfect. It is called Design Harmony, Design's Influence on Health and Wellness, and there will be uh, multiple CEUs and accreditations for any designer that wants to become certified. That's a gold mine. That's what I was looking for. Because if you're an interior designer who wants to put that little shingle on their website to have that, that's perfect. Is there, which website do they go to to find more information or is it up yet or? Uh, it's not up yet. We're okay. literally, we just penned an agreement with Century Furnishings to become a uh, primary sponsor of the event. And okay. we're working on developing other sponsorships and. Uh, okay. That's the IFDA. So IFDA. Just keep your eye on it. Yep. Okay, cool. I think a lot of this is, and I guess I've been around the block a few times and been in the industry for over 30 years. So what I see here is the reason for some of this resurgence is something that I had a hard time embracing, and I hate to admit it here, but we've had so much gray in our lives and so many blah spaces that started happening 10, 12 years ago. And I think people are so hungry for texture and color and bringing more life into their homes, something that I've always designed and, and done with. But I really think that's why you see such a resurgence in this. And I know even in the 60s, when I was a child, we had a lot of what you're talking about. These moss walls, things like that were very popular in, well, more like the 70s. But but it, it is a resurgence, but I think it's something that we're all hungry for. And even living here in Florida, I lived in a place for a short time this year. We just moved here from California, and we didn't have enough windows. And I was feeling so depressed because I couldn't see out enough. So we stayed in the same building, but we just moved up where we had balcony and more windows. And I can't even tell you how much better you feel. So we have to take that into consideration with our clients. And if they, you know, live in New York City, my daughter lived in a place where she didn't have it. She looked at another wall and somebody else's window. So if you work in these places, you need to bring that element of life back into people's homes. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about seeing color and life coming back into our elements here. I love it. And I love the juxtaposition also, like so, like with the cements or the hard finishing when you bring in the organic. I think it's a perfect marriage to elevate it. And you're absolutely right. And I think part of our jobs too as designers is to help educate clients because like the one client I talked about, we went to the consultation. She, she, it didn't even occur to her to bring that in. And she was she was in love with the idea is just to kind of be not aggressive, but assertive and say, this is what we're certified in if we do it with the IFDA, or this is our 30 years of experience. So this is what we bring to the table. And here's why. And now hopefully we can speak to it more and, and learn more about the neuroaesthetics. And talked about the gray thing, because yes. I've done a lot of color studies and color evolution. So the reality is that we see more graphics and images in one day and colors constantly on our phones, TVs everywhere, over right. sensory overload. So there is an innate desire to have a lack of, and that is where that gray came from. I think we're so, we see more in our, in one day than our ancestors saw in their entire life. So the fact that we're so overstimulated is I think where all that gray came from. And the lighting is huge. So being in a space with no natural light, there are Lutron and other companies that are taking action to that to have bulbs. They're not inexpensive, but to even be able to bring those abilities into a space where you don't have natural right. light, to be able to put your lights on, 
a cycle of your natural circadian right. rhythm. So there's all sorts of things to do to, to bring wellness into your environment. Well, and I think the mental health too, you think about our children, there are, most of the children are being raised in fluorescent lighting. And for myself, there's nothing more depressing than being in fluorescent lighting. And people are saying, what's wrong with these kids? Well, they're looking at these screens and screens in the classroom, but they're under these horrible fluorescent lights with white walls. Yeah. And they're in, there's no windows in their caged buildings, you know, they don't get to see out. So I think it's something that we can influence, not yeah. just in our trade, but influence the world and maybe bring in some of that mental, emotional feel to why, what people are lacking in this world. I love it. You well, get it. Yeah. But Darla doesn't like fluorescent lights because they show Remember wrinkles. those fluorescent light bulbs, the curly Q oh ones? How god-awful were those? Those no. are terrible. They're still better. <laughs> yeah, the children are still <laughs> in fluorescent lights. Yeah. Like, look, I see wrinkles. Anyone else have any questions? I, I'm going to just say something about oh. your lighting thing for one second. And I heard a wonderful comment by an, an amazing architect designer. He said, natural light was God's first daughter. I thought that was pretty cool. So I think that concludes our conversation today. We're, we're done. We're do we are done. We're done. It's a wrap. Thank you guys. Natalie and Graf. Yes. How'd you feel about this panel? This was only your second live speaking gig. I like the podcast better because I can be in like shorts and a t-shirt. <laughs> or in pajamas. Or in PJs. <laughs> You know, I have my dog sitting here, right here, sleeping, I, you know, but it was good. Actually, the more live things that we do and the more public speaking we do, you become more comfortable in your own skin. Mm -hmm. So it was okay. It took me just about 30 seconds and I was like, okay, this is fine. And then I just started looking at you and it was fine. And of course. That's all oh, it takes. That's all it takes. Just oh, look at me yes, and it's, Darla, everything's just look fine. At you. The whole world revolves around <laughs> you, Darla. Yes. Okay. I'd just like to take this moment to thank Taylor Chinelli of the Dakota for inviting us to be keynote speakers there in their, their atrium and Michelle and Jeffrey for being good sports with us in our wing nuttiness on the live panel. And I also want to thank everybody that came to see us to say hi, to grab us and say, we love your podcast. We listen to you guys. Thank you so much for what you do. Really, that's our why. We that love is. it. Warm fuzzies. Warm yeah, fuzzies. maybe we'll do it again. Warm fuzzies all around. I hope we'll do it again. Yeah, why not? <laughs> what else have we got to lose, right? I, I don't think we suck too bad. No, I don't think we suck too bad. You want to know? I do have something to tell you. Oh, so, uh oh. You took my picture in front of the panel where we were, mm -hmm. and I sent it to my mom and dad, and this is how... Amish they are, I should say, because I sent it to mom and dad and they're like, why are you sending me a picture? I'm like, mom, did you not see that my picture is on that the ad there? And she goes, no, I just thought you were sending me a picture of you. I'm like, look, mom. And I blew it up. She goes, oh, well, remind me again what you guys were doing. So this is my life. <laughs> you get no respect. I tell you, get no, no respect. So guys, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on whatever the hell you're listening to this podcast on. Tell your friends what the hell. Tell your enemies. Spread the word about the Wingnuts and follow us on social at Wingnut Social and give us a call at 1-877-WINGNUT. We'll be happy to hook you up with your social media needs. And I think that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode. Until next time. So long. See ya. You've reached the end of this episode of Wingnut Social, but that's only your first step. Be sure to head to wingnutsocial.com to reach out to us directly and schedule your free consultation with one of our Wingnut Social Media Specialists to take your business from social mediocre to social media master. We'll see you on the next episode of Wingnut Social, your social media tightly fastened.
Good boy, Mango.